personal coach and trusted attorney, Andrew Leaf, who will help you get started in building your real estate empire. Grow your self-confidence, find your grit, and get the skills needed to dominate the real estate world. This is Real Estate Investing with Andrew Lee. Lauren, wow, what a conversation we just had with Dr. Badani over at Mount Sinai and the need of the CARES Act to expand into the future so we can do telehealth across state lines. Speaking about across state lines and knowing a guy that knows a thing or two about this stuff, we first had a consultant head of the ETA, a board member. Then we have Dr. Badani, a practitioner. But now we got the chief health operations officer at a major healthcare institution, the Tallahassee Memorial Healthcare in Florida. They got, uh, they serve 17 counties. I don't even know. I can't name 17 counties. They have 772 beds. They got a psychiatric hospital. You name it, these people are doing it. We got Andrew Starr on the line and he does operations and we're a real estate show and he manages the real estate. That's what operations is. How do we allocate space? How do we make systems happen? How do we do things? And, uh, Andrew, first of all, do you thank your parents for having such a good name? Because that's what I do. I Andrew is like the best name. Lauren, are you jealous that you you want to be Andrea, don't you? I'm Andrew. He's Andrew. Do you do Andy Drew? What's your favorite? I get called everything, so Andrew's fine. No, but I get called everything, including by my last name. So it's I'm a good, good last name. Like I, I don't have a last name. He's a star. So come on, like everyone knows that. So back to this. What I want to know is, I know telehealth has been a thing people have been talking about for a long time, but then coronavirus came and everything changed. Can you tell me about how it's changed for your health care system? Yeah, certainly. And again, thank you so much for the opportunity. I think what we've seen in multiple environments is, you know, I think certain organizations had a degree of penetration and utilization of telehealth uh, as part of their composite. And I think obviously with the pandemic coming into reality and really affecting every component of the healthcare continuum, I've seen, and I think my colleagues across the country have seen a significant growth and utilization of uh, telemedicine simply because that is the main way they've been able to access their patients, uh, both new patients and patients that are on already uh, a chronic continuum of care and need that type of support, even during times where they might not be able to access uh, their usual healthcare facilities or even providers. So I, I think we've seen a significant, let alone exponential growth based on the institution. Well, let's talk institution. Let's talk facilities. How is the facilities, the operations, how are we supporting the medical providers to allow people to access the medicine through telehealth? Is there a changing platform? Are they doing it from their offices? How does this go? Is there, do you have studios there? Like, how are you doing this? I think what you're seeing is the utilization of existing platforms. Um, there's certainly uh, the use of just simple uh, packages such as Zoom and GoTo as certain paths that uh, provide a secure environment where, uh, you know, providers and patients can interact. Uh, I think you'll also see more use of companies that have been in this space, like American Well, uh, where they have increased their clientele and their capabilities so that they can keep up uh, not just with what was part of their original platform, but obviously the pandemic itself. In terms of the hospitals or the healthcare facilities, I think, you know, what we have seen is more on the service side um, in the context that it's still providers reaching out to patients in terms of tele-rounds. We've seen an increase in that. But cool. I think also, obviously, patients really interacting uh, just with their families in terms of probably less opportunity to visit their loved ones or their friends inside of a hospital or healthcare facility. I got a quick question. Still interact with them. I sure. see that you're affiliated with all 
all sorts of universities and and uh, you guys have got a lot going on. So when you do these rounds on telehealth, and I watch a lot of TV shows about medicine, do all the junior education people have to telehealth in behind them and catch up? Like when I watch Grey's Anatomy, all they all run after them. Do we have like all the all the other ones on the telehealth too, or is it just the doctor? I, I think it's a pro- it's probably the main attending provider, but again, it probably varies by institution. Uh, where again, uh, you know, physicians provide their rounds during certain parts of the day, most likely in the morning, and their respective clinical teams, whether it be residents, fellows, uh, advanced practitioners, nurses, etc., are following along in some capacity, most likely in the live version, but certainly uh, via virtual. And again, that that probably varies by institution and really also what unit their patients are in. What a mess that must be having their their. Um, all their team following around on telehealth. That's that's a, that. Uh, I, I feel for you being an operations front. So what I want to know, and I'm just curious about this whole thing, is do you think that this is a generational divide on how people are accessing and using telehealth, or is that all leveled now that we have coronavirus? I think it, I think part of that is it's generational, and I'll also tell you part of it is I think it's to be determined. You know, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are certainly accustomed and really appreciate the opportunity to visit with their provider. Um, there is certainly a lot of value with having the provider and the patient interacting in one room where, again, they can have that face-to-face contact and that body language uh, that the f- physician can see and probably interpret things that they can't necessarily always do in the telehealth space. But at the same time, I'll also share with you, we are in a new world where, again, telehealth for some organizations and even some patients is not new. And in light of the pandemic, I think more people have been exposed to that as one, a necessity. But secondly, now that it's been gone from necessity, is this now going to be common practice? I think for some people it will be. Um, So I think it's a little bit to be determined. And I think it obviously varies based on the patient's needs. Is this a primary care visit or is this more of a specialty situation? I think that'll obviously dictate who and how things are used. But I do believe we will not go backwards on this issue. It's just what degree of penetration there'll be, I think it's still to be determined. Well, let's talk about going forward and let's talk about interacting. And when Dr. K was on the line, Dr. Kathan Badani, he was explaining to us that he's only doing communication via telehealth. But I am on the Facebook and I don't know if you get all your information from the Facebook, but I find it to be the most reliable for sure because that's where the crazy... That's a joke. Yeah. So anyway, um, I found this this company that said, do you have big earwax? And I always have earwax. I don't know if you... like. I'm always like, I got to get it out. And they tell you... No, they had an endoscope thing that you could plug into your computer, Lauren, and you can get the earwax. It could show you where it is. Are you seeing telehealth to have diagnostics as well and using stuff like this, like where I could be at home and take my own heart rate and tell the doctor, or is it more just interaction? I think, I think certainly there's interaction, but I think there's platforms already in place, and the question is how they'll grow and mature, where we'll see more interaction uh, with regards to the heart rate, blood pressure monitoring, and then getting into the space of endoscopy or things along those lines. I think there are those possibilities. Again, I think platforms to connect point A to point B, um, how accurate they'll be, what does the patient actually, he or she, have to do, who is on the other end of that you know, physician to patient exchange, as a nurse, as a tech, who's doing that. I think, I think a lot of that is still to be determined, but there are capabilities out there. And again, based on how healthcare evolves, what the consumer needs, uh, and what the physicians are comfortable with, I think will help dictate the platform going forward. But I believe 
obviously this pandemic has showed us there are some advantages and some opportunities that probably probably weren't recognized or probably weren't appreciated prior to the pandemic that will be part of the platform and discussion going forward. I love the way you can just keep going when I'm thinking about my earwax. I'm still thinking what I got in my ear. But um, And I agree with you about using more blood pressure and like I have headset on Lauren and I'm trying <laughs> to think of how I can scratch it. Anyway, so the blood, pr- I'm telling you, so the blood pressure and the heart rate, and I agree with you, but I'm concerned because I read on the Facebook, like I said, that Bill Gates is trying to chip everyone, which is the craziest talk I ever saw. But when you start using all this machine stuff and machine learning comes in, isn't the companies that are creating these these diagnostic tools going to have so much data on us? And aren't they going to know? Why shouldn't I be afraid of the machine? Well, I mean, I think there's always fear with anything. But the reality is, I think you have to look at the overall benefit of that. Let's Again, talk about There is already tech. Yeah. What's there's the already technology. Well, I think the benefit really is that I think there's technology that's already out there that allows a patient to be surveyed from a distance that gives them the provider real-time access to data. And I think it also allows the patient to have what would be a normal set of circumstances or life where he or she doesn't have to come in to a clinic or a hospital setting to get that care. Um, when you think about things in the cardiovascular space, as an example, yeah. you know, monitoring a patient over a longer period of time during different facets of their respective day probably provides additional detail that can't be realized during a 15-minute or an hour-long so visit. So, uh, so there's some advantages that come with that. But obviously, like anything else, whether it be this or email or anything else, anytime data is out there, the key is data security and uh, what happens if and when something's breached. Lauren, I want you to know that if I ever have a cardiovascular issue, I want you to take me to Tallahassee now. And I'm going to tell you, well, no, seriously, like they, they recruited- Great uh, choice. I'm telling you, they recruited Andrew Starr like, oh, oh, like oh, a little more than a month ago. This guy is uh, so smart. He used to be a new- Yorker. He was in New York. He was in Rochester. This guy, this guy is so smart and so on the cutting edge because what he's saying to you is, yeah, there's the boogeyman in the corner, but you got to think to yourself that the advantages outweigh the detriments. Even if the boogeyman can find you, I'm a little concerned. Like you said, if I have a heart issue and I'm there for 15 minutes, I always say that. I don't know if you're like this, Andrew. I go to the doctor and I'm sick. Once I get there, I'm well. And then I leave and I'm sick again. So uh, have you ever had that? Like you finally get to the appointment yeah. and you and the doctor goes, is there anything wrong? And I'm embarrassed. I'm like, no, nothing's wrong. And no, seriously, Lauren always is like, what the doctor say? He goes, I'm like, he said, I'm good. And you know why? Because I told the doctor I'm good. Like that's what happens every time I get scared. But if they were monitoring me all day, like you're saying, the information and data they're going to get is off the charts. So how are you driving telehealth forward at Tallahassee? Well, again, I, and I got to give credit to the team that's here. They've done a great job in terms of working with our providers, uh, you know, in those spaces where we've been able to very quickly get technology up and running. And I think based on the circumstances, the physicians have been very amenable to this change management. I think to the point you made earlier is as we get through this pandemic and hopefully knock on wood, there is a you know, a vaccine that is created and implemented, it'll be interesting to see how physicians react to their consumers and how they're comfortable reacting to where telehealth fits into their space. The same thing will happen with hospital and their operations. But I think it gave us a real good glimpse at the future of medicine and where things are now, where they could go a couple of years down the road and where they could go 10 to 15 years down the road is, again, uh, the desire for immediate and 
real-time information and also having access to data that may not have been available previously, telehealth has shown us a glimpse of what could be. So I, I think I think uh, there's a lot to be determined, but I think a lot of good things come out of how telehealth has quickly jumped into the platform and people have been able to take advantage of it. Well, I have to tell you, if you're looking for the future of medicine, I'm going to follow Andrew Starr, who's the Chief Health Operations Officer at Tallahassee Memorial Healthcare. Thank you so much for joining us. And I have to tell you, I have to tell you, I think Andrew is the best name I've ever heard. Thanks. This segment has been brought to you by the Bryn Elliott team at Douglas Elliman Real Estate. This is Real Estate Investing with Andrew Lieb. Find us on social media at Listen to Lieb or visit listentolieb.com.